Welcome to Creative Living, the podcast with Jane Monsuris. This is Creative Living, the podcast, and I am Jane Monsuris. Now, I love all things creative, so I love my job. Thank you very much, and goodbye. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I get to talk to people that are creative. I get to live a creative life, and then I get to take all of those ideas back to my own craft room and see what I can make out of them. But on the show, we talk about living your most creative life. On the podcast, we learn and we dive in a little bit deeper to those people who do live this creative life. And today... I am with an amazing multimedia artist, Tracy Moreau. Now, she's a lifelong everything crafter. She's a faux finisher. She's a DIY diva, after I love that, a girl after my own heart. Mixed media, fine artist, designer. She's an author. She's a wife, she's a mom. And she's a butcher. Hi, Tracy. Hi. <laughs> I know. Nobody ever expects Phew. to see the word butcher in my job description, but yes. that's all uh, I... So you're a butcher. How, how does being a butcher, is that creative? It, yeah, I suppose so in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, how are you? You were really a butcher? I mean, I, I, I thought really you were an was. artist. I am. But, you know, I never did the starving artist thing. I had to work for a living. So uh, going through school, I worked in a, a little butcher shop not far from where I lived. And the one thing about it was no matter where I went, having been a military wife, I could find a job. So it was very easy to find work. You don't find, you don't meet a lot of female butchers, do you? No, there's not too many of us. Why is that? Um, one, it's a really smelly, ugly, icky environment, and most women really don't like it. And it's cold. It's very cold. Yeah, it is cold. Yeah. Because you're always, you have to be in the butcher shop. But honestly, it's a great life skill to have. It truly is. <laughs> so you probably use those skills deep into your life as you're like, oh, yeah, making your, your butcher boards because yep. you probably make that and then you go back and you butcher on it. Yep. Yeah, I love it. So uh, let's talk about this long list of um, crafting that you do, this mediums. You are a lifelong everything crafter. What does that mean? Um, I learned from a very young age, my mother was a maker. She made her homemade bread. She knitted, she crocheted, she did cross-stitch and embroidery and all of those textile arts as well. So I learned those at a very young age. And my grandmother was a seamstress and she did the same thing, the quilting. And so all of that started very young for me and I picked up a pencil when I was about four and that was the end of it. What's your favorite thing? So you said grandma's cross-stitching, mom's sewing, you picked up a pencil, you can sew, you can can cross-stitch, you can draw, but what's your favorite? Um, I really love working with media, any type of mixed media. So I work in fine art, acrylic paint, textiles. I like bringing all of them together. And explain what that means, because you you see a lot of different, you see a lot of metal mixed media. Um, In your world of mixed media, is it still that layering effect? Uh, Not always, but sometimes it's a matter of constructing the surface that you're going to be working on, as Mm -hmm. opposed to um, melding it into an art form. So you create your own surface and then build from there. Or you can take some of those textiles in their raw form and add them into your artwork. So you can embed them into textures and media and glazes and and create something else out of it. So when you're talking about multimedia and mixed media, give me some of the ingredients that that you would use. Uh, I use a lot of textures when I'm working. And so I use anything from drywall compound to high-end texture mediums to faux finishing products, whatever's going to give me the look that I want. So I will stretch out and use whatever I can find to create something. So stencils and texture mediums, uh, drywall compound is great because you can tint it and add paint to it. Oh, cool. You can do some fun things with it. Um, wax, I've used wax uh, doing it in techniques and uh, 
there's a variety of things you can do with hot wax as well in art. And then embed papers and do image transfer and add metals and fabric and textiles. In your world, is it trial and error? Or is it, I know that I'm going to use wax and I'm going to put a piece of paper in it and I'm going to create X? Or is it just sort of like, hey, we're going to do with this? I I think when you first start out, um, you sort of have to learn the media that you're working with and how it affects the various things that you work with. After a while, it sort of becomes intrinsic. You instinctively know that whatever I add to this is going to do a certain give me a certain result right so. you know that that using wax will turn into this what about burning do you burn things pyrography yes i love using um actually use smoke for doing furniture what what um, does that mean it's a candling technique and it dates back hundreds of years where you interfere with the candle if you've ever done that put a metal piece in the flame of a candle mm-hmm. and you get a spiral of black smoke that comes off yeah. the candle we can use the smoke on wet paint to create a really beautiful pattern and it's, it's called a candling technique, and using that, smoke to add an effect to paint. Wow, and that is something that dates back. And did you dis- hundreds of years? Did you know about it and say, "I want to try this," or was it a class that you took? Um, I actually walked into a faux finishing workshop and I saw this spectacular cabinet, mm-hmm. and the door panels had this beautiful, very fluid pattern in it and I had to know how that was created and I asked the man that did the piece and he explained it to me and then took 20 minutes to show me how it was done and from that point everything under the sun got candled <laughs> <laughs> and then you got moved on from that yeah. I'm, I'm really into and I just saw this I, I saw somebody like flame torching masking tape yeah, I saw or somebody like doing that on the floor, using it, and it, it creates some really interesting curls and and yeah, yeah, it burns it and gives it this like kind of like really cool look to it. And so sometimes with me, because I'm I like textiles, I'll burn the edge of a ribbon or I'll burn something just because I don't want to, you know fold it over and sew it um, <laughs> but it's cool to be able to burn that and sometimes I'll do table runners and just have a burnt edge because I like the feel of it mm-hmm. do you find that you're do you know like have you used some of that besides the candling I have I've done it though with using foils metallic foils changing the look of them uh, creating a patination on metallics heat's a wonderful tool when you're doing any type of crafting or artwork because it affects so many different materials in different ways so heat will give you brown marks and scorch marks and even black on wood but on metal you'll get a variety of rainbow colors so reds will pop up and blues will pop up so depending on the type of metal you're working with you'll get all sorts of interesting effects how often are you making something i mean <laughs> uh, constantly constantly if i'm not playing in my studio i'm in my kitchen so if it's if i'm not <laughs> cooking i'm painting or creating something talk so. about your studio so your craft room looks like like someone lobbed a grenade in it <laughs> It's creative chaos. <laughs> I mean, do, do you see some some you know war marks on the walls? Uh, do you have stuff everywhere? Do you have tools? I'm when it comes to my tools and my materials, I'm hyper organized. Everything has its place and in its place. Mm-hmm. My actual workspace is where the devastation occurs and seems to remain for long periods of time. But um, creatively. I can't work in complete chaos, but I can't work in utter sterility either. It has to be somewhere in the middle. <laughs> and what's, and you seem to be into a lot of things, well, you are into a lot of things. Yes. What's the one thing you must have in your studio? Texture mediums. If I don't have texture mediums, I'm lost. I can't just have a flat, plain surface. It has to have something, some height, some change in height, some detail, some element that 
keeps it from being just a flat surface. So explain that. So when you say a textured medium, I'm auto, I'm thinking of like paint that's thick, or I'm thinking of a piece of raw wood that has texture to it. When you say texture medium, what does that mean? There's a variety of mediums on the market, and each one has a different texture in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, my my personal preference it can be smooth it can be rough it can be sandy it doesn't really matter as long as i can manipulate it into shapes and elements that add to the the overall design then i'm happy i work with modeling pastes a lot i like mediums that i can tint and add color to i like clear mediums that i can suspend things in so working with resins and and clear gels where i can add beads or bits of glitter or gold leaf or bits of fabric or feathers or whatever i happen to have on hand if i can embed those in and then push that over a stencil and then remove it so that when i have this decorative element on a tabletop it's got little flecks of gold in it even though it's transparent it's that gets the juices running. If I have those things, I can I can play with almost anything as long as, as I, I have a texture. I just let you talk because I just yeah. want to hear. I just want to hear you keep talking about gold flecks and feathers and, and yeah. textured paints. Um, take me back because now we know what you do today. What was the first thing you ever made? Uh, at the at the very first thing I ever made, mm-hmm. I made a granny square with my grandmother. And she was making afghans at the time. Those little throws that go over the back of the couch and doilies. And that was one of the first things I ever made. And from that point, it sort of snowballed from now I crochet doilies so that I can stick them into texture mediums onto onto canvases and incorporate them into the artwork. Wow. So it's really it's really taking a life of its own. Have you ever had a craft fail? Oh, yes. You know, those infamous like Pinterest fails. (laughs) I mean, it usually has something to do with icing. (laughs) So no matter how bad it gets, Uh um, it's still edible. Oh, so icing on a cake. Icing on a cake. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm not that great with icing. I can love the bake? texture. I can bake. I prefer to cook. I'm not a big sweet eater. Okay. Because there's so, so, sometimes there's a chemistry behind baking and sometimes, yeah. and it's interesting because I feel like baking is chemistry, cooking is creative. Yeah. I can rock the cake, not so much the icing. Really? Yeah. So and you're yeah. not into the fondant making little no, that, you know, people that walking do on the cake? No. no. I think the last time I tried that, it was just an utter disaster. <laughs> <laughs> so I read this about you, uh, that around the holidays, you paint pins and you give them to total and complete strangers who are in need of a little Christmas spirit. Absolutely. So what is that? Like, where did that come from? And how did you start doing it? Well, it kind of occurred by accident. I, I've painted these pins for years. They're just fun little things that I give them to my uh, you know, sisters-in-law and, and whatnot for Christmas. And I'll paint them ornaments or make them something for the holidays. And I was in a craft store in, an, in a different city over the holiday. And I had one of my painted pins on my lapel. And there was a woman in the lineup ahead of me. And she turned to say something. And she did not look very happy. And then she looked down and she saw this silly little pin that I had on and she said oh my goodness he's adorable she said where did you get him at a craft fair and I said no I made them she goes oh so I won't be able to buy one so I took it off and I gave it to her it was just sort of an impulse and yeah then she started crying (laughs) I thought oh my goodness it was supposed to have the opposite effect but I guess she'd had a really really tough week and that was the first nice thing that had happened to her all week and it sort of got me thinking that that's probably true for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so I started painting multiples of these. And I would just give them to the cashier at the grocery store or you know somebody in the lineup at the local coffee shop or at Starbucks. And it just sort of 
snowballed from that point. So now I paint anywhere between 150 and 200 of them every Christmas. And you just give them and out randomly. I just randomly. give them away. And so now I attach them to a little card that, you know, sort of explains why I'm doing it. And I don't put my website on it. I don't put my name on it. Um, it's not supposed to generate any kind of uh, financial reciprocation in any way whatsoever. The idea is to just give somebody something for the sake of cheering them up. And it sort of snowballed in the last couple of years. And I started producing an instructional guide on how to create these little pins. And I post them on Facebook and people can download them. And the first year I did it, we had eight or 900 people downloaded the patterns and they were posting pictures of the pins that they painted and gave away. And I thought, this is wonderful. So this year we did it again. Uh, this time we were over 1500 downloads of that pattern. So we started a Facebook page and we watched the numbers continue to climb. Even though Christmas is over, mm -hmm. we are still seeing a constant increase in the number of people joining the Random Act of kind, Christmas Kindness Facebook page. What's cool, Random Act of Christmas Kindness. Yes. Drop the Christmas. Um, you know, Random Act of Creativity Kindness. kindness. Yeah. Because I feel like you can do this all year round. Absolutely. Um, we just posted a new pattern the other day for Valentine's Day. So they're little double hearts and they're very simple. You don't need to have any fantastic skill set to do them. They're really easy, they're fun, um, and they're inexpensive. You can make them out of cardstock if you want to. And You're what does the little note say? Usually the little note just explains that everybody needs you know, some kindness, that everyone deserves it even when they really don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. um, right, like the lady that was mean. And yeah, then you, you gave know, it to yeah, her and she I, cried. Yeah, and then she <laughs> cried. So it, the idea being that um, an instant and uh, any act of kindness that has no gratification for the individual other than the fact of the act has an impact on people. And it spreads very quickly. It's like smiling at somebody in a, in a lineup at Starbucks. They can't help themselves, they smile back. Mm -hmm. And a random act of kindness, like giving someone a pin, has the same effect, there's a trickle down effect. So they're kind to one person and then it just snowballs. And then they're, they're you've made their day 110% better and then they're gonna exactly. treat others with kindness throughout the rest of the That's day right. and remember this yeah. and talk about this. What are people, what are their reactions typically when I, when you say, here, I'm giving this to you? I, I've had a, I have had people look at me and say, why? <laughs> <laughs> and then I've had people hug me I've had people cry and it's just a simple little thing and it's it never fails to make somebody smile I've never had anyone say no thank you I've never had anyone um, just look at it and, and sort of frown everyone smiles and, and says thank you it's just a really neat experience to have somebody respond that way uh, let's face it one small act of kindness can change everything yeah, it can change someone's life, literally. Literally. And if they never wear that pin again, but they put it in their dresser drawer, they Every put it in Every time they their... see it, they'll be reminded. Exactly. Yeah. And they'll remember to smile. They go, oh, I remember what that lady did for me. Yeah. And then they can tell that story for years to come. Well, and they don't necessarily have to remember the person. They'll remember the act. Sure. And that, that perhaps is the most important part of it. I love that. Uh, so when I post the patterns, I don't have them copywritten. People can download them, photocopy them, print them off, as long as they don't sell them. That's the primary rule on it, is that the one rule that I have listed on that pattern yeah. is that don't sell it. No, because this is a this is a giveaway. This is it's, a charity. The idea yeah. is to share the kindness. That's it. And so we're going to switch from giving random acts of kindness to your obsession with skulls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Where does this obsession with skulls come from? Um, I was teaching in Bolivia a few years ago. 
and um, the gentleman that was my translator uh, suggested that we take a tour up into the mountains, uh, up to 17,000 feet above sea level. <laughs> That's an experience. Um, and he took me up to an area where they have um, a burial ground for uh, the Aztec and Mayans. And they had decorated skulls. And I thought this was really unusual. I'd never really seen that before. Being Canadian, I'm, I'm not, you know, <laughs> we don't have a whole lot of Hispanics where I live. Let's put it that way. It's a little too cold. Um, so we don't often see that kind of cultural influence where mm-hmm. I live. Mm-hmm. So I, it really struck me. Sure. And what really got me was the whole point behind it. They, It's a really beautiful thing. There's a whole cultural influence there that is really beautiful. It's about not forgetting sure. the people that came before yes. and what kind of importance they place on the people that are here now. And so they would decorate them with things of value, gold coins, gems. Uh, Sometimes it was the simplest thing as a bead, a glass bead or a clay bead. But the skulls were so ornate and just extravagant and beautiful, even though it's kind of ghoulish. Well, so, for so you think, oh, it's gruesome. I mean, there was a, a phase in my life that I was like a punk rocker and I'd wear a skull ring and a skull jacket. And then there was yeah. a time in my life that I lost a lot of loved ones. And I'm like, I can't wear a skull short anymore. But then what you're saying is remembering those that come before us. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. So that was, that kind of got my attention. And the, I came back and I was designing some things for a creative show in Las Vegas. And I thought, I really should do one of these skulls. I think it'd be fun. So I did a couple of pieces with it. And the initial reaction was sort of, ooh, <laughs> that's not that great. And the next day they came back. Well, we couldn't get them out of the boxes fast enough. Wow. They were selling like hotcakes. And since then, I've continued to create new designs. We have door wreaths with, uh, for 4th of July that say live free with a tattoo type script and sugar skulls decorated with roses and beads and things like that. So will you continue, like, will the skull theme change that when the next inspiration comes along? Or has this sort of been a common thread now in your, in your creativity? Well, for me, it's become a common thread. I design tattoos, too. (laughs) So... I love that. Um, and my husband and my son both wear a lot of my designs. So do I, so... Meaning in tattoos? In tattoos. Oh, okay. So you design the tattoos. How do you get the tattoo artist to learn how to do it as as well as you've designed it? um, Most of them actually are really very good at picking up and changing styles. And so they're very adept at at working that into it. They see a line drawing. They can work with it. And I have no problem with them adding their own twist to it. It just adds to to the tattoo. How many tattoos you got? I have two. Oh, you have two. One I can't show anybody, ever. <laughs> How did the tattoo artist get there? <laughs> we won't discuss that. <laughs> okay. Did you design it? Yes, I did. And uh, how many tattoos your husband and son have that you've designed? My son has six, mm-hmm. and my husband has three. Cool. Yeah. And do you think that there's ever, I mean, you do so much. You're a craft expert uh, for multiple brands. You've yeah. got, you write books. You've got your studio. You're selling your purses with skulls and your art. I mean, there's. There, we can talk for another. Uh, hour and a half about all the things that you do. Do you ever think that you will take your designs and and partner with a tattoo company? Oh, that would be cool. I I would love to do something like that. Now that I've just given you the idea. I love it. You can do that like maybe in your hometown, get started there. Or better yet, there's TV shows. (laughs) There's those TV shows with the tattoo places. Do we still have those? I think so. Yeah. Or you could write a book about tattoo art. Yeah. Have you done that yet? No, I haven't. I'm actually writing one right now that's called skulls, bones, and and 
I haven't figured out the rest of the title, but it's it's all about sugar skulls. Everything skulls, from bones. Like I like rock paper scissors. So yeah. why don't we call it rock paper skulls? No. <laughs> uh, but you have seven other books out. Yes. Is that correct? It is. Okay. And so what are those books, and where can we find them? Uh, two are out of print. Um, they're quite old, uh-huh. and I have four uh, French language books that are sold overseas. Are you fluent in French? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> With a name like Moreau, I should be, but no. Well, that's the married name. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. The the maiden name is... Tucker. Yeah. Tracy, yeah. Tracy Tucker. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, uh, Tracy, how can we find you? I You can locate me on the web uh, at just tracymoreau.net. That's my website. Mm-hmm. It's actually, that's just my shopping cart Can we site. learn from you? Can we take a class? Absolutely. I teach at about seven different conferences and conventions across the United States and Canada every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oklahoma City, I'm at Creative Painting in uh, February, beginning of March in Las Vegas. And uh, where else am I? I'm in uh, Seattle, Washington in September, um, Oklahoma City in October. I'm in Long Island, New York in June. <laughs> wow. I mean, literally like an onion, we keep peeling away the layers and finding out all these cool things about you. You're such an interesting person. Uh, we're going to go to the website, tracymaru.com. Dot net. Yep. Excuse me. Tracymaru.net. Uh, social media? Uh, everywhere. I'm on Instagram, Twitter. We'll follow um, you. Just type up Tracy Morrow. I'm up there. I love that. Tracy, you're so great. Can I come and play in your craft room sometime? You can come and play in my sandbox whenever you like. That would be my delight to do that. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you for letting us live our most creative life. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Creative Living. For more creative living, keep it right here on yourview.com. 